0: Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group Wags of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle and our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury thank you so much for tuning in to the wags of sci podcast here we go this podcast is proudly sponsored by wishart brain and spine law led by our personal mentor and lawyer robin wishart Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex
1: spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases. And they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury
0: community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life and a purpose.
1: They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay.
0: Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support Wags of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGs of STI sent you. This podcast is brought to you in part by Megan Williamson, head coach at Ocean Rehab and Fitness. Live life with an STI and looking to improve your fitness? Or maybe you're finished rehab and want to take the next step in strengthening your body. Megan Williamson at Ocean Rehab and Fitness now offers online adaptive training programs and one-on-one coaching to individuals around the world with spinal cord injuries. Visit www.oceaninsiderclub.com for more information on how you can get started on achieving a stronger you.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of the CI podcast. Today, we have a
0: special guest. Who do we have on today, Brooke? Hi, everyone. So today, we have um, a special guest, and she is a wag herself. So her name is Megan DeMott, and she is uh, just graduated from Occupational Therapy uh, Fellowship School, and um, she also is the partner, uh, girlfriend of a quadriplegic. And we met Megan early on um, in our journey um, just, you know, I don't know, a few months into starting Wags of SCI is when we met Megan. She contributed an amazing article to WagsofSCI.com for our resource page, um, about skincare. And if you haven't read that article, please go over to our website and read it. It is so informative. Megan is, um, a neurological, uh, injury expert. So she has a lot of knowledge and she agreed to be on the podcast today. So thank you for coming on Megan. We're super excited to have you. No problem, guys. I look forward to talking with you. We just feel like you have a wealth of resources um, and also a really, really unique perspective um, being having such a strong interest in occupational therapy and that being your profession, but also being the girlfriend of someone who has more needs, who's a quadriplegic. It's just a really, really interesting perspective. And I know that a lot of us wags out there are super interested in how we can assist our partners um, to be their best selves if they need assistance Um, and also like helping to prevent issues from happening down the line. So we're really excited to pick your brain. We did ask uh, our followers on Facebook last week if they wanted to submit some questions. And we got some great questions. And we also have a bunch of questions for you, too. Um, So, yeah, let's get started.
1: So our first round, we're going to start with on the spot. Cue the music. <laughs> okay. So it's actually pretty casual. We have a few questions for you to get to know you a little bit better, Megan. So we're going to start off with, if you could change one thing about the world of SCI, what would it be? Oh, healthcare and access to resources. Financial resources. Yeah, that's a big one. And Brooke and I always talk about it. We've been on a few panels for surveys. And every time when they ask, hey, what could we, you know, even for the caregiver or for the injured person, what is the number one thing? And that's exactly what we say is financial resources or finances for resources, um, rather, because that's a big one. So great answer. It's huge. Okay, next question.
0: What is your favorite town to vacation to? Oh, I love uh,
1: Provo, Utah. Oh, Never heard of it.
0: Really? No, neither have I.
1: What do you love about it? So my mom actually is an occupational therapist, too. When I graduated from undergrad in 2016, she got her doctorate. So she had been an OT for like 20 or 30 years. And she went to to get her doctorate. She went to a school in Provo. And it was online, but they would like every semester do finals in person. So I got to go with her and they have like the Sundance Mountain Resort there. Um, And I just totally fell in love with the little town and the mountains. And that actually is what inspired me to move out West originally. So the next question here is if you could have a theme song, what would it be? (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, I really like Go Flex by Post Malone, which is like, if you look at me <laughs> okay. it's so out of characteristic, but <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's my theme song. Awesome. I love it.
0: All right. Next question. What is your favorite quality about yourself?
1: Um, I would say like, I'm very compassionate. Mm-hmm. That is important. And I'm, I think that that says a lot about you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, if you could invent one thing, what would it be? I would love my significant other to go hiking with me. So something where he could like push because he really enjoys like feeling like he's getting a workout himself, but something that like he can actually participate in like trails with me like going up a mountain and stuff like that I would you would think something with dressing or something i coming from an OT but a selfish <laughs> invention would be something to for him to like hike That's totally, that's totally valid. I know, I kind of like know what you, what you mean. Like we have the free wheel and then we have the smart drive that goes on the back. And like that helps going over like, you know, like some like pebbles and things like that, but nothing like hiking. So that's a really, really, when you invented, let us know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Evan always talks about that. My husband, he's always like, cause he was a huge like mountaineer before he's like, that's literally the one thing that you can't even really do adapt it. Like you can go, I think they have like a, it's almost like a wheelbarrow that they can yeah. put you in. But then it's like, you know, Megan, what you were saying about participating, it's not, you're not participating. You're just kind of being dragged around, which is, I mean, okay for some people, but it would be so nice to come up with something
1: <laughs> like an Iron Man yeah. suit or something. Right. <laughs> <Totally. laughs> there has Twy on wheels and the free wheel too. But like, we're so worried about damaging the toy wheels because he's yeah. in school and so he has to use them to push around campus that like we can't do gravel you know it's just I would just love something like that yeah, that would be yeah awesome. that's a good invention and also an invention for snow like for like some skis or something to put on I feel like on a wheelchair during like snowy snowy season <laughs> somebody needs to come up with that
0: yeah where you don't have to transfer Actually, into it
1: a rehab psychologist that I worked with um, during my neurological fellowship is a para and she actually got injured when she was 16 in Alaska. And they she said that she put like chains on wheels. So really yeah, I'm not sure about that though. Like, don't reference me on that. <laughs> <But> the, <laughs> next, the next thing you know, the wags of SCI are like cruising around with chains on their husband's <laughs> wheels all winter. like, <laughs> <But> thanks, Megan. Thanks, <laughs> Megan.
0: Okay, next question. What <laughs> is the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself um, during COVID nineteen and during like the quarantine?
1: That's hard because I feel like I've been so busy that it's been hard. But I guess the biggest lesson I've learned is I guess like my fear, this is going to be really deep, but my fear around like death and not necessarily like my death, but like the people that I love dying. That's not too deep deep at all. It's It's
0: so interesting. That's like what I've been dealing with as well Um, during the past few months is like, when everyone around you is scared and there's that, you know, general fear in the world, you know that yeah. has come up for so many people. So you're definitely not alone on that. Hundred percent. Totally. Alone
1: on that. Totally. Especially good. when you have people in your family who are more vulnerable, right? Or close to you that are more vulnerable. Absolutely. All right. Next one. Who do you admire most? Oh, I have. Um, a co worker, he was actually my clinical instructor that before I met my significant other, that really opened my eyes to the spinal cord injury world. His name's um Kevin Starr, he works at Ohio State. But I would say um, the work that he's done and his passion for SCI is like very admirable, and I guess also, too, um, I would say like I really truly have a deep admiration for my significant other. That um, sounds cheesy, but like, I really admire his resilience and um, just like how he shows up in the world. Very nice. Right on. Shout out to Kevin Starr for being one badass guy who's inspired Megan and to your partner, of course.
0: All right. Next question. What is one personal goal that you have for yourself in the next coming year?
1: I would like to, I'm also a yoga instructor. Um, I got my certification while I'm in grad school and I do a lot of like mindfulness and things like that. And I'd really like to get back into my roots. I feel like I've let the fellowship and the stresses of COVID and life this past year kind of um, take over. So I guess like meditating every day again would be a goal. Of mine. Oh, it's
0: really great. Like kind of like getting back to like you, like your soul and stuff like that. I love that.
1: Right. Yeah. It's really great. And it sounds like, and it sounds like we're going to have to have you uh, on for a takeover to do some mindfulness and meditating with, with the legs of SCI. Oh, I like that. <laughs> you just signed yourself up, girlfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I, mean, I mean, it's so important. We always talk about like, quote, self-care and like self-care is different for like everybody, right? For us, mm. it's so important to just like have that that stillness and that calmness in your mind, especially during chaotic times, just to know how to like go within and like, what is your brain telling you today? Do you have to listen to it? You know, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's great that, you, that you're that you into yoga too. I did not know that about you. So we're going to have to touch on that later for
1: sure. Yeah. Speaking of self-love, I just heard this like really beautiful quote. And I, um, it was about like, uh, her name's Najwa. Zebian? I don't know. She wrote, she's a poet and she writes like mind platter. I think it's her most favorite famous book, but she said like her, the true definition of self-love is imagining the person you love most in this world and then treating yourself nothing less um, than what you would treat them. So I love that. I love that. That's really, really good mm-hmm. because I think sometimes we forget that like, especially being a caregiver, being in that caregiver role, like or, or having that kind of personality where you usually show up for other people before you show up for yourself. I feel sometimes it's really easy to drift away from like who you are and what you need in the moment when you're so used to putting everybody else's needs first because you just want to take care of everybody, right? And you want to make sure everybody's good. But you have to also check in with yourself and make sure you're good too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying this because this is totally what I've been going through. I'm like... I'm just going to counsel myself here for a second. Anyways, next question. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Uh, Don't judge a book by its cover.
0: That's a good little reminder. It's so simple, but so true, right? Absolutely. All right, next question. If you could only eat one type of food or cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? (laughs) Very important.
1: Oh, so Vegas has like the best Thai food ever. So I would say just do I like is Thai an acceptable answer? Yes. Very acceptable. <laughs> I think like so. Curry, pad Thai. Yes.
0: Heck uh,
1: yeah. Pad Thai. Every day. Uh, you know, do you
0: like green papaya salad?
1: I've actually never had that before. Oh. but I, I'm sure I'd love something like that. It's yeah. right up my alley.
0: Okay, Megan, let's, let's talk about, well, first of all, thank you for answering the questions. I know it's hard to be put on the spot sometimes, but it just is such a good way to like break the ice and get to know you more and get our, you know, listeners to know who you are more. And I've definitely learned a lot about you from those short questions. So thank you. Um, So why don't we talk about you? Um, What's your story? How did you, well, you, you mentioned that your mom was an occupational therapist and you kind of were raised around that. So is that how you got your passion for it. Um, and then like, where did you go to school? What was your journey as far as that?
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, my mom was an OT. She's actually a clinical, well, she was a clinical hand therapist. Now she's actually a professor of occupational therapy at Ohio State University. Um, so I loved playing with like the splinting material growing up, like she would take me in to her office and then,
0: you know what, let's, okay. So here's the thing we know what occupational therapists do and what they are, but there's a lot of our followers who don't have access to one who have no idea what they do, what their role is. So do you want to actually like get into that first, just so for the, for the listeners who don't know what it is and don't know how to access one or what they do?
1: Absolutely. I'll give you my like 22nd. What OT um, is phrase. Essentially occupational therapists are people that help individuals get back to doing all the things they have to do want to do and need to do so what i tell people are the things you have to do are like bathing dressing eating um grooming and then some of the things you want to do so like social participation um intimacy um, returning to work school etc and then really anything that falls in between like any activity that someone wants to do, I can go back and justify it in our like occupational therapy framework. So that's kind of my blanket, what OT is, but there's a lot of different like specialties that encompass that there's like pediatrics, the people that you'll see working in schools or in outpatient clinics. Um, then there's the orthopedics, which are typically like the hand therapists um, and then obviously we're in a bunch of different settings from acute care and patient rehab, outpatient rehab, where you can specialize in like the burn unit, cancer, um, spinal cord, stroke, brain injury, um, et cetera. So it's a pretty broad field and that's why I feel like they're starting to lean more towards specializations and concentration areas.
0: That's really cool. And yeah, thanks for explaining that. I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of the women on this group, um, especially in the States, you know, you have access to an occupational therapist at most rehab centers, right? And then that's kind of like where it ends. But people just people don't understand that occupational therapists practice in the community as well. And like you said, a note from an occupational therapist and an assessment from an occupational therapist is like huge, especially when it comes to justifying things for
1: insurance, right? It's like the golden ticket. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you have to find a good, it's just like everything and not to like demean other people, but I definitely am a fan of specializations, um, especially because when I moved out to Nevada as an OT there was no one really specializing in SCI. There was, I worked at a community reintegration program for brain injury and stroke before taking the fellowship um, where I did one of my clinical rotations at, and I had someone who, I got a patient with a spinal cord injury, and I mean, they were the most phenomenal therapists for um, brain injury and stroke, but SCI is really a whole new Ball game, especially with like bowel and bladder, and skin, and like the complex rehab equipment that people with spinal cord injuries need. So um, yeah. definitely, yeah. I always tell people to like ask their experience level, or if they're just willing to learn, um, because we can learn a lot even as seasoned professionals. But yeah, I always tell people you can. You can uh, hire and fire members of your team, which I feel like people don't think about in healthcare. No, they do. Um, no, but yeah, you can hire. I mean, uh, you can fire your doctor or your OT or your PT. So yeah, finding. That's, a, a, that's yeah. important to say that because there's such a plethora of you know, of specialists out there that it's almost like you have to like shop around a little bit because people will have different, you know, different ideas of how to do things or different specialties of how to do things. So that's a really, really great point. I didn't even think about that. Usually when you get, you know, you get your GP, you kind of stick with them forever, or you get your OT, you kind of stick with them, especially for outpatients. So anybody listening, you can hire and fire whoever you want. Yeah. And like, I feel like I try to um, learn what I can for patients if I feel like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I have a good base of foundation for them. But recently I had a patient, a spinal cord individual, and she had like so much swelling and edema. And I was like, at Ohio State, we have edema therapists. So like I referred her to one of them because that's their specialty. So I try and do that um, just to serve my patients the best that I can too. But yes. Awesome. Yeah. Have you invented any gadgets or anything to help your patients like successfully do something they need? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I will give my significant other a lot of credit for this, but he has this device. Um, we call it like a hooker, but essentially it's like a C shaped, um, splinting material that you hook the top of your pants in and then you can attach it to the bottom of your cushion or your chair to hold your pants for bladder management and it's super simple and I know that some people put bungees on the bottom of their chair but for individuals with like limited core Mm -hmm. um I personally make the hookers for them um so that That's was, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And do you guys sell them? Like, Do you have like a place that somebody could get one of your hookers? No, I actually don't. But I definitely we could. Um, I actually made them for people on his rugby team in his kitchen oh, when I was yet. there originally just because um, they didn't have access to an OT that could help with that task analysis of how am I going to cath? Like what catheters can I use with my dexterity that I have? How am I going to do clothing management? Because what I tell my patients in regards to bladder management is it's probably going to take you longer than before, but it's my job to make this process as efficiently as possible so you can get back to your life. You know, I don't want being thirty minutes. And I in fact have made them when I was an inpatient rehab at OSU. I made them for even caregivers of like a C4 quad just so it could make that process easier for the person that's cathing them. Yeah, totally. I know like when we were at GF Strong, we actually had one of uh, the nurses make something similar for Dan when he wanted to start practicing caffeine on his own. And it was but it was made more out of like a clothing hanger, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, it was, this, my boyfriend is very sensitive about what goes um, in that area. Mm-hmm. like even like the idea of a bungee so yeah. this is like thick. Oh. i mean it's probably about three or four probably three inches wide and at least like a quarter of an inch thick like plastic you know what
0: i think so is really like, cool i think it's really cool that that you're talking about this now because first of all occupational therapists think differently than most people they think outside of the box and they're always trying to find a solution this is just my experience and like I feel like you're definitely the same way but they're always trying to find a solution to something that you might have not even thought was an issue and just that level of knowledge and I think I don't think people understand that like if you have an idea for something like some sort of adaptive device or something, message an occupational therapist that you trust or message Megan, because like, there's so many ways that you can actually get it done. Like Elena, what you were talking about earlier at uh, rehab, because Elena and uh, my partner, they both went to the same rehab. Um, so we both had the same experience just a couple of years apart. And they had this room. It was like the occupational therapy magic room where like, they had this like plastic melting device and they had this, these devices where you could like put something in there um, to, more, to mold it to your hand or like mold it to your yeah. arm, right? And, and people don't have access to that or don't, they don't know how to do that kind of stuff on their own. And that's like definitely where an occupational therapist can come in and help because you would know where to find that and how to do that, Right.
1: Right. Splendid material, the stuff that you were talking about them forming and making is what I make the hookers out of. But oh, yeah. it's also extremely expensive um, and very hard for just like a non-therapist, like a, a, like a citizen, I guess, to accept. Right. You know? right exactly. I was going to say, how would, how would somebody even get their hands on something like this? You can't really, Right. No, I mean, like, I just used scraps that they were going to throw away to make um, the ones that I was making. Um, but yeah, it's definitely challenging. I don't know. My mom wouldn't know. She ran a clinic that they ordered a bunch of splinting stuff on, but I know it's very challenging and expensive. Yeah, And yeah. If, you're, if you just follow up with an OT, um, I would say, like, I really would... My idea of... Following up with an OT is every like two to three years or like before any major like life event happens following SCI, like go do a little OT assessment and they may only see you two or three visits, but if there's anything they can do um, to help with, I don't know, like if you have more function or you're about to have a kid, there's lots of things that an OT can offer or help make for you or your partner, I guess, to become more independent. That's so. really
0: cool. I'm glad that you mentioned that every two to three year thing because there's this, I'm going to do a shout out. Um, <laughs> there's this uh, company called Access Therapists um, here in Vancouver. They're one of the biggest occupational therapy um, companies and they have this um, program. I'm, I'm not sure if you have anything close to this in the States probably, but it's like a it's it's called an injury prevention team and they come mm-hmm. in, three occupational therapists come in with a pressure map um, and they come to your home and they basically, uh, look at, you know, how you're seating, what your chair cushion looks like, how it measures, um, what your bed looks like. And they like have this like system where they mark down, you know, your risk of injury and what you could be doing better. And it's like, almost like this three hour kind of consultative thing where they kind of give their advice and it's like, then you have all this information. And I think it's called the wound prevention program. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But anyways, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: No, that sounds... I mean, yes and no. I know about pressure mapping. I've done that before. Um, But that sounds like an amazing program, and especially talking about preventing skin injuries. I mean, that's the way to do it.
0: Yeah. And like what in your home is making it so that you could possibly be getting... Um, something in the future, like how 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 risky is your situation, right? I think that's so important that that is available. I know it's available um, in certain areas, but that's definitely worth looking into for sure. Anyone who's listening, like especially once you said the two to three year thing, I think that's like a really good time period to like assess these things, right? It's so important,
1: especially because yeah. your body changes, right? Think about yeah. like how how much your body changes from like. The time of injury getting into a brand new chair to like, I don't know, three, four or five years down the road and on. It's almost like, you know, they suggest that you you definitely readjust a few things like from like the dump in your chair to what you're sitting on to maybe like restructuring your entire chair, the hand grips, the we, the tires, everything. Yeah, and I think too, like, especially as people learn their bodies more or experience more recovery, like I know my significant other, he um, left, he went to a rehab hospital called Craig, and he did a little outpatient stint there as well. But he was moving back to Vegas. And when he moved back to Vegas, I know he had very limited hand function. So as he continued down his journey, he gained more and more arm function, um, and when we first met, it was that very fine line of balancing. Like, I'm gonna be your girlfriend, not your OT. But then I like couldn't watch it anymore, and so I gave him some tips and tricks and um, my o- with my OT lens, and he became way more independent. So definitely if you're experiencing any sort of like, Oh, I, I feel stronger doing this, or I feel like I can balance better. Um, so up with someone, especially if you have a particular goal. Um, I yeah. think that's a great one.
0: Yeah, that's a really great one. Um, speaking of your si- significant other, do you want to get into how you guys met and kind of your story of how, of how you met him?
1: Sure. Um, I'm going to kind of explain my OT story and then, will pop into it. So um, originally, I went to undergrad at a small little liberal arts school in Ohio. And then I got a dual degree in psychology and allied health or kinesiology. Then I went on to graduate school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I did two years there. And then how OT works is you do two three-month clinicals at the end Of your two months so my first clinical was at Ohio State with Kevin being my clinical instructor and he is the he's one of the OTs on the spinal cord team so before I even met my significant other and Kevin is super passionate about bowel bladder adaptive sports um, so I had a really I had a very intense three months there and that's kind of when I um, like before that experience, like if you would have asked me if I would have been dating someone with like in a wheelchair or a spinal cord injury, like I probably would have been like, no, I don't think so. Just because I didn't like, no, you know, I was very uneducated even being an OT, um, or in OT school at that time, I guess. But while I was there, I realized that all of the patients I were, tr- I was treating, um, the time that I was there, I swear we had all like c seven, and they were around like 25 years old. And I was like, the difference between their life and my life is only 30 seconds. Right. So that was kind of my exposure to SCI, which really, um, I felt like that experience allowed me to see people and not necessarily like their chair, um, you know, like see the person and then yeah. Yeah, so I love I love how you say the difference between your life and their life was is just thirty seconds. Yeah, because that's the truth. Um, That is the truth, isn't it? Wow. So, and then actually, while I was there, one of my best friends asked me. She was like, "Would you ever date someone with a spinal cord injury?" And I was like, "I don't know, because I'm so passionate about working in neuro as an OT that like I don't want to get burnout." Um, and then fast forward, literally, I think it was two months after that. I go to Nevada for my second clinical where I'm working in this TBI and stroke community reentry program doing my second clinical there. And I was like, I'm in Vegas, like I'm not going to meet anyone. And then the second week there, I'm volunteering at adaptive sports, um, hand cycling. And they kept telling me about this young guy who's super cool. And he's he's starting the quad rugby team in Vegas and he has this nonprofit organization and he's doing really great things. And I heard about him for like literally the whole time I was there. And then he finally showed up and I met him and then they don't have hand cycles meant for quads. So I had to like physically ride a bike behind him. And then if he has to stop, I have to like grab the bike. Um, so he doesn't like flip over cause I guess he'd done that before he's a wild man Um, so I was his little riding partner to prevent him from flipping this hand cycle over because they would put active hands, you know, tie his hands on, um, but he couldn't use the brake. So that's kind of how we met. Um, and he was like, oh, can you help me with rugby practice and, or, volunteer or whatever because I did that a little bit in Columbus during my clinical I was like sure of course so he got my number then and then he would like text me on the weekends I ended up going to his fundraiser but um, obviously school takes him and Elena I believe your significant other is in school so you can I'm sure feel this Mm -hmm. take longer for him to do you know like Typing, yes. taking notes. Um, so he didn't really text me during the week, so I didn't really think much of it. And I was just like, I'm in Vegas, I'm having fun. And then about a week or two after his fundraiser, I went to, um, I was, we were texting and I was actually kind of talking to another guy at the time And I was talking to my mom and I was like, I actually really enjoy having a conversation with Bradley more than this other guy. So then Bradley asked me out on a date um, where I almost killed him. Um, That was kind of how our first few. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean you almost killed him? So I was really nervous, and this is actually hilarious. He thinks this is funny because he has a spinal cord injury, and I know everything that goes into a spinal cord injury, but I actually have a number of food allergies. So he was oh, like, "No," dinner, and I was like, I didn't want to seem like too high maintenance, right? Which is funny because of everything that's involved with a spinal cord injury. right? needing right. too high maintenance. Um, so I was like living at this beautiful home at the time one of my family or one of my friends from grad school, her family friend let me live in their home that they weren't at very much. Um, So I was like, okay, let's just come, come over. We'll watch a movie. I'll cook dinner. Um, So then we end up get to talking and then I don't make him dinner and we turn on the movie and I fall asleep after the first like 10 minutes of this movie And I'm like, passed out. And at the time, he wasn't driving, which now he can drive, which has been quite the process. Um, But essentially, so he like, couldn't leave, you know what I mean? And I, so we ended up just like, crashing on the couch, but I was really self conscious about like, sleeping so close to someone, I was like, am I going to be like, sweating? So I ended up turning (laughs) off the thermostat. And it's like, I knew all of these things, you know, but I like, didn't apply them at the time <laughs> <laughs> you're like this is a real life situation and he can't regulate his temperature and he's gonna freeze <laughs> yeah. so he's frozen he didn't bring his like nighttime meds because you know we just thought we were gonna have dinner and watch a movie and, um, then also going down his driveway, cause I was too scared to drive his van. because so I was like, I'm a pretty bad driver. So I was like, what if I like crash it on our first date? So <laughs> I, um, I taught people wheelchair skills. So I was like, I got this. But then like real life wheelchair skills are a lot more challenge, challenging than like clinic flat wheelchair skills. Right, where you have everything set up for you there, right? Where you've got, like, the ramps and, like, the safety guards and all that stuff. (laughs) We're, like, going down a steep driveway with, like, this curb at the end. And he's like, yeah, just, like, hold the back for me and, like, pop a little wheelie. And I'm like, I've never popped a wheelie on someone, like, going down a hill. So that was our first date. But then he still asked to go out with me. (laughs) um, And then we just kept talking. And then my second date with him, I actually flipped him over in his chair um, and I almost threw up, like I felt so bad and he's like laughing. So I think this is oh, so no. funny
0: because you, you, you got your worst fears or all of our wag worst fears out of the way in the first two dates.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah the, no second, kidding, hey. yeah. the second day I was in front of all of his friends, like all of his most cherished friends and their girlfriends. And here I am like, Oh, this occupational therapist that should know what she's doing. like flipping. <laughs> <my> <laughs> So, um, that's awesome. That's thank perfect. you for, thank you for at least being honest and sharing all that. I think that a lot of people can relate to the things that you're saying here. Um, <laughs> yes, it's funny because it's like, it doesn't matter how much like knowledge you have or think you have, or, or like textbook you have. It's like when those real life moments pop up, you're like, ah, not sure what's, what to do right now. Right. Oh, you're and human. I can be A better therapist because now I'm like, okay you can do this in the clinic, but like, Oh, how do you do outside or going down a hill? Or, you know, it's made me think more of like, Oh, that's great. You can do this on a mat table, but what it's like, what's it like sitting on the edge of the bed versus a mat table? That's hard, you know? So So, um, then we just started dating and then he runs a really cool non-for-profit organization in Vegas called like the high rollers Um, just a foundation and um, what is that what is that can you explain that yeah so he does this really cool thing because in Nevada especially Las Vegas it's, it's called like rehabistan because there's just not a lot of therapists out there it's a very transient city so he actually goes to on top of funding this quad rugby team so he's bought he got a like a $20,000 grant from the Christopher and Dana Ree Foundation last year on top of his own fundraising he's done on the side. Wow, yeah, wow so that's incredible. To get three new rugby chairs for players. Um, and essentially, if you commit to the team, like he'll buy you a quad rugby chair that fits you. Um, but on top of that, and then he pays for their travel to go to tournaments and hotel rooms. Um, on top of that... That's so cool. He also goes to newly injured people in the valley and gives them like a backpack with a resource packet. So it kind of, it's kind of a lot of information and they might not use it in that moment, but it's super useful when you're looking at for who's going to help me pay for this van. Like who's going to help me with my home modifications Um, what are the good rehab centers in the valley for SCI, um, etc.? So it's like a 30, I helped him, he did most of the work, but I just helped a little bit with it. But it's like this 30-page packet, and then he has a little some brochures and some goodies, um, like from sponsors that he puts in there, um, that he visits them. So and I think it's also what a
0: great role, like seriously. I feel like There needs to be something like this in every community.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really cool too, because his, um, so another reason he's super passionate about this is I'll tell you about his story. So he was in a merchant Marine Academy. Um, he was about, I believe he was like three or four months from graduating. I had not met him yet. And a bunch of his buddies, he was a Marine engineer. So he worked on those really big ships and he was getting ready to um, what's it? Deploy into the navy. I'm not sure. Enlist. There we go. Sorry, my terminology in this isn't that great. But um, enlist into the navy when him and a bunch of his high school friends went to Lake Tahoe. And um, I believe it's a similar story for the love of parking. Wag, her husband. She was just on. Yes, your car, Rebecca. Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca yeah. Mina. Yeah. So he was swimming. And super fit. He was a college wrestler. I think like he was telling me a couple months before his injury, he actually could like clean and jerk double his body weight. Um, And he was swimming and he did like um, a shallow dive, but it wasn't like a dive. It was just like, you know, you're standing and then you start swimming. And as he was coming up for air, he hyperextended his neck and dislocated Um, C4 and C5 so he didn't hit anything he wasn't doing anything stupid or drinking Um, and then he was a 22 year old fit guy and he went to the ICU out in I believe it was Reno Nevada where he almost died Um, he has just like horrific stories they didn't have him on a bowel bladder program he got pneumonia um, they almost wouldn't allow him to go to a rehab center, Craig, because the doctor was like, well, you're just going to die. So wow. Wow. his parents are amazing people and his family, and they really advocated for him because obviously he was on so many drugs. And I mean, he showed me pictures of this place and they didn't even have like a sip and puff because at wow. the time he couldn't move anything below his, his neck. So, they put like a button, like one of those buttons for the call light right next to his hand, and he couldn't even move his hand to get it there. So, that's just like no kidding. Kid. No getting, yeah. So, Hello. sorry, sorry, not to kind of like trash wherever where he was staying, but where was he staying when this was happening? Some hospital in Reno. And I honestly don't know, but my advice to people that get injured, unfortunately, um, in Nevada is to go to a rehab center um outside of the state. Actually, the place I'm working at, they're kind of up and coming. So I'm very hopeful that they're going to be a great resource in the future. But yeah, definitely, if you get injured... In the valley, like advocate to go to Los Angeles, like Rancho Los Amigos or Craig, or even out in Texas, like Tier, where they have
0: more uh, knowledge. That's just really some good of advice. the bigger places.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I'm it's, very hopeful yeah. though that things are going to be improving, especially in Vegas. I'm not sure. I've never been to Reno, but yeah, that was kind of a sad and scary story. So then he went to Craig. Um, he had a phenomenal experience there. He was actually like one of their research subjects because he went from an Asia B to an Asia D spinal cord injury. So he got four months in inpatient rehab. One of the months though was just getting him like medically stable. So like not having pneumonia, vent weaning, etc. cetera. And then after that they started therapy, but he presented like a central cord, which means he could move more of his legs than his arms. So like he can, he could walk in a platform walker before he could feed himself. Um, and, Seriously? Yeah. So, so what do you mean? Explain that to us. So it essentially means that the inside part of the cord is more preserved. So he has all of his leg muscles partially innervated essentially. Um, so he can walk, but it's not like functionally. He does it for the only time he does it functionally is when I leave the shower head at the top of the bar. Um, <laughs> survival skills, right? I- it's like, I got to get it. <laughs> yeah. And um, but he doesn't like walk. Um, it's actually really interesting. One of the guys on the rugby team that got newly injured and, you know, you're idea of living with a spinal cord injury evolves as time goes on. And he was like, before you know it, Bradley, who's my boyfriend is going to be like greeting you at the airport in like, uh, forearm crutches. And Bradley is like six years out of his spinal cord injury. So he kind of knows, um, where I guess his limit is at. And he uses a platform Walker when he was at Craig and not on any spasm medications and stuff he could use forearm crutches but he also was doing therapy for 5 hours a day for 10 wow. months so wow so he so he basically he has the use to be able to like stand like if he had to do like a transfer like transferring into a car or into like a chair is he able to stand and oh, and that yeah, like all the time like we recently got stuck i'm I was living at my mother's house which she lives in a Midwest um split level home so it's three levels and right before covid happened Bradley was visiting me on his spring break and then it was like in the US it was like covid's not a big deal and then so Friday he flew in and then Sunday in Ohio all of our bars and restaurants shut down um so it was a very quick like evolution here um And we were staying at a hotel originally. And then we finally had to transition to my mom's home. So my bedroom and our um, kind of accessible bathroom is upstairs. So Bradley would do a full flight essentially of stairs every day with me helping just like being his other, I guess, like crutch or like portion of the walker. So um, he has a lot of spasticity, um, which helps, but yeah, he has a pretty good leg function, but it's not, um, besides the occasional stair moment, he doesn't, he uses a wheelchair as his primary form of mobility because it's exercise. Like that's exhausting for him. Um, his leg muscles aren't like a hundred percent innervated. I would say mm-hmm. anywhere from 25 to like 75, 65 percent. So, so just to kind of back it up a little bit, did you say he has central cord? Yeah, he presents like it. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Hey. Yeah. It's interesting because not many
0: people know about it. And I know that there's a lot of women, um, My husband went to uh, rehab with two people um, that had central cord, and it was it was very interesting because like a part of him was like, oh, I'm so jealous that he can get up and walk, but then he'd sit and talk to them, and they'd be like, oh, it's just it's not functional. Like it's so frustrating for me because it's like there's a lot of limits to it, unlike what people think. I think there's a lot of like misconceptions around that.
1: I think too. A big part is is I know. Um, like I know my significant others in a lot of pain, um, because he has, um, so much spasticity. Is it nerve pain or what kind of pain is that? Yeah. He describes it as below the level of his injury feels like sandbags, like hot Mm. sandbags. So I'm assuming that's like nerve pain, um, and I think the other weird part is is because some of those connections are there, he feels like he should be able to move like he did before, but yeah. then it just doesn't get through all the way, which yeah. I think a number of people experience with spinal cord injuries. But yeah, yeah like you said, Elena, it's super frustrating. Yeah, um, SCI of- is such a mystery, right? Like, yeah. like there's just there's no cookie cutter mold for spinal cord injury. It's so variable. Across so many different things. It, it's such a mystery. I mean, there's just so much that we don't know about it. You, yeah. you, you kind of just have to go with the flow and like a lived experience and report your lived experience to be able to make any new sort of discoveries about it. It's just so interesting, but also can be really frustrating for a lot of us.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of women and men that we know um, in our groups and stuff that we talk to in the SCI community that, It's, they, they just, there's that certain envy, but it's so misunderstood. And it's like, it's just, it's just interesting for us in the community, um, all the mysteries that surround spinal cord injury that's why we always talk about how like you can't compare yourself to anybody like it's you know even when you know you have a friend with the same level of injury you can't compare it it's just it's too complex and like there's so many people in our group that just get so caught up with well he can do that and he's the same level of injury as me so I should be able to do it and it's like you can only do what your body tells you and allows you to do right
1: you can only do as much as you can right totally good point Brooke, your husband, what level is he? He's, He's a C4. C4. Um, C4. Yeah, yeah. So he was, he was diagnosed Asia A,
0: C4, and then he moved to an Asia C. But again, like when he got diagnosed with Asia C, he was so excited because, I mean, he was put into a box the entire rehab journey where right. there was two groups of people the asia a's and the asia b c's and d's and those people were given priority treatment they were allowed to stand they were allowed to they had more resources and he was just he would cry and cry and cry because he was like i want to be able to have access to this kind of stuff but they're they're saying to me that i have no hope and he just kept asking for more um for another assessment they wouldn't do it and then on the final day of rehab they did it and they were like yeah you're you can clench your butt pretty much like on, on command. And he was crying because he was just like, it's such a shame that I couldn't, I had to go elsewhere for um, things that the, the other Asia levels were able to do. So it's a big problem, but the thing is, is like, they shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is is there's, there's limited resources, right? I see both sides. Um, I know it's frustrating for therapists when they're, they have to do that because there is only so many resources to go around but always, yeah. you know, my message to everybody that has been diagnosed with something is that's just a diagnosis. That's don't list, really listen to it. You're you're capable of whatever you want to be capable of, whatever your body allows you to just go with the flow. It's just it can be so disheartening for some of
1: these guys that just want to, like, make more progress, you know, but that's just my experience. <laughs> you no, know, my boyfriend no, when to totally. was injured in that. um that Reno hospital that did not provide the best care. They did not believe that he could feel below the level of his injury. So he has sensation, but he can't feel pain. So like he wouldn't be able to tell the difference between like me touching him and like me stabbing him with a knife. Not that I would ever do that, but just to give that like dramatic, um, example, I guess, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. it's really interesting, too, because like with him, um, I showed some of my coworkers because they've all met him and they're on the spinal cord team. Um, I showed a photo or a video of him pushing um, a rugby chair for the first time at Craig and he had to have the PT help move his arms. Right. And now he can push a. Rugby chair, and even like the seasoned therapists that I worked with, they were like, Wow, I've discounted so many people, um, yeah, that yeah. presented like him, you know, and now look at him, you know. So, I definitely think education, 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 um, and advocating, even though it's exhausting, um, it is, is exhausting, <laughs> it yeah, it's
0: exhausting, it is exhausting, especially like when you're in the system, it's just like you feel like you're. Other, I always say my other full-time job is advocating for my partner because there's just a lot of there's a lot of hiccups in the system there's a lot of lack of awareness is a huge thing right and that's why I'm glad you say education and this is like literally one of the main reasons why we're doing the podcast is because there's so much that people don't know there's so much that people aren't exposed to from various perspectives in the SCI world and yeah it's just it's really important to talk about this kind of stuff so thank you for sharing all of this no problem it's really really enlightening to us
1: well it resonates with all of us all of us right yeah yeah and yeah
0: and I know Uh, there's a lot of women um I keep saying this on the group whoever's listening right now you know who you are you've reached out to us about central cord syndrome trying to find some women who have partners with this so I guess yeah reach out to Megan because she knows what you're
1: going through
0: it's kind of a whole it's a thing right
1: Yeah, because Bradley doesn't have triceps. So if he um didn't have the function he does in his legs, like he wouldn't be able to transfer like independently, which he can do. Um so it's pretty it's like you said, you can't compare because um some people have things that others don't. And it's just I call like a spinal cord injury, it's literally like drawing a piece of hay out of a huge haystack. So
0: pretty much. Yeah. It's just, it's the unknown, right? There's so much that doctors don't know. There's so much that we, that everyone else. That's why it's kind of like exciting to think about what's going to happen as far as spinal cord injury advancements in the next, you know, 30, 40
1: years. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like with COVID happening, it's so interesting because people are scared of, you know, like hospital systems and like, not knowing what to expect and even as an OT and having this neuro specialization and treating people with spinal cord injuries. Like when Brad goes into the hospital, I am terrible. I mean, I'm terrified, you know, um, we had a recent, well, like a year ago, he went in for a UTI that turned into a bladder infection and essentially like an autonomic dysreflexia hangover. And, I mean, and some of those can last for days too. the AB Hanover's. Oh, and they were not letting him do a bowel program. Like they didn't provide the proper equipment. And since Brad, that was the first time in five years that he'd been to the hospital after his experience in Reno. So he was scared. Um, I was, they had, he had an allergic reaction that I actually had to end up catching, even though the nurse had literally just left the room. Um, and I had to advocate for him to do his like bowel program. And you really got to be a mama bear. Like I remember wearing my OT badge to visit him. And luckily I had a phenomenal manager who let me take an hour at lunch and just add it on to the end of the day. So I got two hours at lunch that I could go help him, um, shower and, you know, do his bowel program because he had an IV in one of his arms and, um, Like it was just I had to go up to the charge nurse and like flash my badge and be like, you know, I don't work for you guys. He's not had an OT evaluation. The equipment in the shower like is not safe for him to use. You know, Um, I'm so glad that you're telling this story. And I know, Elena, you
0: probably are thinking the same thing as me. This is like something mm -hmm. that we all kind of have struggled with in the system is like, we are the ones that are being the quote, mama bears and the advocators and the ones that are looking for solutions. And I know Elaine and I both had the experience in rehab where we Mm -hmm. had to go in and shower our partners ourselves because there just wasn't enough resources to have, to just
1: help them to like live their best lives. (laughs) Well, they wouldn't be getting a shower every day. They would no. be getting a shower like once a week if once you week. didn't. And if you do that. have to advocate for yourself.
0: Yeah, You have yeah. to
1: be the strongest advocate for you and your partner. And I know sometimes I can come across as like being bitchy. Like, oh yeah. God, here she goes again. Yeah, But this is especially from the point of injury for those few crucial months of like really getting your life together and like setting up a quality of life. It's so, so, so important to be your own advocate, because if you don't, then people will just allow, you know, allow the the care levels to go down because they are busy. And a lot of the time, let's face it, spine, spine wards and uh, rehab centers are, you know, they're over, they're understaffed and, Overfull, and it just you know they just don't have enough, enough time and not enough beds, not enough nurses
0: and also yeah. I think it's I, really important to mention that like this is like one of the reasons again why we started the group is that like we both were like gobsmacked at like okay we're the ones advocating we're the ones talking to the doctors, we're the ones sourcing information, we're the ones filling out the forms we're the ones just doing the job of being that person right and you know our thoughts and feelings aren't really considered. It's so weird. It's like we have such a powerful position, yet we're kind of just like pushed to the side and you know, we're not given support as caregivers and partners. So
1: that's why I say you can fire your rehab team or whoever or just like your doctor. You know, like if they're not treating you with respect, like find someone that does it is my um opinion. Um yeah. So
0: That's really good advice. That means a lot for sure. hundred percent. Do you want to talk about some questions that we have from our followers? Sure. Yeah. So we had like some, a bunch of questions submitted. Um, There was a few questions about, about sex because I feel like people want to talk more about sex and there's so many mysteries. Like there's, I always like to joke around and say like the mysteries of the spinal cord are the mysteries of a sex life after spinal cord injury, it varies so much. And it's like the unknown, right? And people there's
1: not a
0: lot of education out there. It's
1: kind of like trial and error. So right, which I feel like OTs like missed opportunity. Um, so during my neurological fellowship, I lectured three times on intimacy following a spinal cord injury. Um, because I'm super passionate about it because of my boyfriend's story and I'm sure it was similar to your significant others. It was like, okay, he's a 22 year old. He got injured. Not only is he thinking I'm never going to be able to walk again, but he says one of the first things he thought about when he like found out this happened to him was like, is anyone ever going to want to be like intimate with me again? Or can I be intimate again after this? And it was just so heartbreaking to me because I think my boyfriend's a babe. Um, and we have a like a phenomenal like intimate relationship, so that's where I became super passionate about intimacy and have done a ton of research. And it's in our occupational practice framework as an activity of daily living. So in theory, we should be addressing it like we do dressing and eating, um, which unfortunately. People are uncomfortable talking about it, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, we're professionals and we should talk about it in a professional way that we advocate for our patients and educate them. So I think that's interesting though, because I feel like, you know, sex is still such a taboo topic in general. It's like, there are those who, talk about sex openly and and then they're kind of like put in a box and labeled and there are those that don't and I think not to get too political but like religion plays such a huge role in that too that you can't even talk about sex openly in general let alone when you have a disability you know so there's just like so much there's still so much room there to grow yeah and in those situations it's about like reading your patient so like I talk about intimacy with Almost every patient, but some patients, I kind of um, tell them, like, hand them a packet and be like, I'm a resource if you have any questions. And then the ones that have questions, we have an open discussion about it. Um, In a professional setting, like, I definitely don't share my personal experiences, obviously, just to be clear. Um, But (laughs) why not, Megan? You don't talk about all the gadgets you have at home? No. Um, But in an academic setting, I do. Um, So I lectured, my boyfriend actually came in for a portion of it also. Um, But we, not like super openly, but in a professional way, discussed intimacy. And he made some jokes that were like hilarious. Um, I love his sense of humor. But I think it's such an important thing because like there's still incredible, attractive men that just happen to have a spinal cord injury and just happen to be in wheelchairs. So we need to treat them like that and educate. But at the same time, it is such a mystery, you know, um, such a mystery. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, like literally we get emails at least once a day from people asking about resources for sex because it's just not available. Um, and like there's only so much online that you can learn mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just like based on some person's experience and not necessarily, you know, what your experience is. So there's just so many different questions and um
1: I don't know many if you misconceptions. Yeah, many, too, right? many
0: misconceptions for sure. And we
1: do actually have a YouTube video on this. Um the Wags yeah. of SEI. Broken Elena put up a couple of YouTube <laughs> videos. That's my let that you guys know. <laughs> What's that? I show it to my patients and their um, significant others. It's like video. hey you ready for a good laugh? <laughs> Here's a link. Watch this tonight. <laughs> no I think it's phenomenal and it's like the, one of the best ones out there that really educates like you guys taught me things that like I didn't know how to give an injection before yeah. I watched that. So yeah. that's That's awesome. I'm so happy you actually take it seriously. That's really great. I mean, we took it seriously too. But as you can tell, like, one of us is a little bit more comfortable and open talking about these things. I just kind of, I'm like, I'm here for the show. I want to learn. I want to know. And also, we want to break the, you know, taboo sort of feel about talking about these things. Because like you said, our partners are still human beings that that have needs and we have needs and it's a natural part of life, right? So it's better to at least have the access to the education and to the information and then you can choose what you'd like to do with that. So that's really cool that you show that to your patients. Um, Thank you. (laughs) That's great. Awesome.
0: That's actually really cool. Um, Okay, so there's a specific question here and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase so what she's asking is she's been married for three years. Her husband is a paraplegic and the medications and injections have not been working um, to sustain an erection and they're getting really frustrated and she doesn't even know how to feel about it. And it's just, it's one of those familiar stories that we hear time and time again. What is your advice for her? Um, do Is there any sort of resource or therapy available that you can recommend from an OT's perspective?
1: Sure. So, um, there are actually OTs that are certified in, um, like intimacy, uh, but I can speak to, so I'll be honest with you. My, um, significant other, he has both reflexes intact. So we, I don't have a lot of personal experience, but I can tell you my professional and like what I've worked with a number of other patients on. So, um, typically what I find works are like erection rings that vibrate, and then you can change positions. Um, so you can have it facing the base or the top. Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I guess they're called what cock rings with the sex door. Yep. And, um, make sure they're silicone and then you only want to wear them for about 20 minutes, but like obviously consult your healthcare provider before doing this. Um, and and what happens after 20 minutes? Does your penis well, fall off? The skin, right? You don't want to yeah. get injury there, so just for skin integrity. And I would say, but my personal experience has been most of our, our skin integrity issues have come from intimacy experiences. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. Interesting. Um, yeah. So. Um, But also, too, something that I went to a conference and listened to a number of um, intimacy lectures and sex lectures, and your brain is actually your biggest sex organ. So on top of, like, the mechanical eggs, like a pump, the cock ring, um, injections, pills, um, or I also recommend, like, talking to a urologist that has SCI experience can also be a great resource for... Um, ideas and like intimacy needs for that specific person, because it's so hard for me to give advice on um, something that I don't have the full picture on. But I also am super interested in in, like Tantra. I think that is a great way to um, like connect with your partner and an alternative method. And then I think too, like stress plays a huge role. Like I'm personally, my like sex drive ebbs and flows depending on how stressed I am. So, you know, like backwards, your roots, like making sure you're eating healthy, like doing something for yourself every day or a couple of times a week, um, that's yeah. really good
0: advice. I, I feel like a lot of us wags, we all get into that mindset of like, you're just frustrated and you're so used to um, just the physical act of like penetrative sex and what happens afterwards that, you know, we kind of forget that there's so many other options out there that can actually make you have a better sex life than you ever thought if you just open your mind. I love what you said about Tantra. That's really cool because that's so much about like breathing and being, you know, present and like you know, the Mm -hmm. connection and it's not just about physical, right?
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And of course, like I always say, you got to be nice (laughs) if you want to have sex. So get along with your partner, buy them flowers, do nice uh, things. In rehab and stuff, and they don't do enough of this, but they call it like having intimacy dates, so it's like with your OT, you would make a dinner for your partner, um, where they can educate you on like adaptive equipment for cooking. And then in rehab, you guys would have a little, like, you don't necessarily have to have penetrative like sex, but it's just like a date for you guys to realize like you're in love, you know, like, yeah, this is awful, but like, take a moment and like, remember why you're in love with that person. Because even though they're having all these needles and poked and prodded and, Now have to have to do bladder and bowel management. Like they're still the same person that you like fell in love with. You know, great piece. Totally,
0: yeah, great piece. And honestly, we uh, who we are, we are not our physical bodies. We are what's inside our minds and and our spirits and what's inside our hearts. And you know, I think I feel like after a serious injury, it's like that should be the focus. Is like you know yeah it's important to do to make your life as easy as possible and work as hard as you can to get your function back but like at the end of the day work on yourself like we we get these guys that are messaging us all the time saying oh i don't think i'm worthy of love no one would love me it's like work on yourself what makes you you and just like celebrate that and don't be afraid of that and like you know, it's just so important that people need to understand. I think our society is slowly moving, slowly <laughs> moving towards being more understanding and inclusive. And you know, it's what's behind the eyes. And you know, it just yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad that that you mentioned that because it is so important. And it's relationships are emotional. Relationships are mental.
1: You know, yeah, and I think too that's such a good teaching opportunity um, because like. I used to be very insecure and now when Brad and I go places like obviously a lot of people like look at us and that took me a long time to get used to not a long time but after a while I was like well I don't really care what people think you know like he is more of a man than any other guy like able-bodied guy that I've dated so um yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think we all feel that, too. It's so f- interesting. And it's also interesting that, like, these guys message us and they think we're just like, you know, oh, this never happens or one in a million. It's like, no, I feel like it's a perspective thing. Like, it's it's totally yeah. all perspective And what's important to you and what isn't important to you and what are you sick of? I always say the same thing, you know, eventually um couples become when they're monogamous for a while and they've been married for 30 plus years. It's not all about the sex. It just isn't right. It's about right. other things that keep you together. And that's so important. Absolutely. So do you want to get into skincare? Cause I know you're a skincare yes. aficionado and that's like literally so important in every which way. So we had a couple of questions about yes. skincare. Um, so what is the best routine and what are the best precautions to take? Um, to help my partner's skin stay as strong as possible for as long as possible. What are your biggest pieces of advice as far as skin
1: care? Uh, regular pressure reliefs. So every like 15 to 20 minutes, changing position, uh, checking their skin at least like twice a day. Um, if they like using a selfie stick to, if they have hand function or having a caregiver check it like in the morning and at, at night, um, padding and positioning and turning in bed. Craig Hospital, if you just Google like Craig, um, SCI padding, they have a great resource that goes over, um, pillow placements. And you don't have to use like all of the pillows, but definitely making sure you're hitting those like bony landmarks, like making sure their heels aren't having pressure on them, tailbone, elbows, shoulder blades, back of head, if they're lying on their back. And, they're lying on their side, making sure between the ankles doesn't have pressure. Outer ankle, outer knee, between the knees, hip bone, shoulder, and ears. Um,
0: That's a good one. I feel like we always we all forget about those things because we just t- kind of take it for granted because we move
1: without even knowing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Keeping, keeping their skin clean and dry. And then this is again about that every two to three years is getting a proper seating evaluation at least every two years. And I love that pressure mapping that company that comes out to your house to prevent pressure wounds because those pressure wounds cost healthcare so much money. So that is a great um, model that they're doing out there. Yeah. And it's also good for insurance
0: too. Like if you have insurance and you want to justify new equipment, It's huge, right? You don't want to have them paying $5,000 a day for you to go back to hospital. And I think just in general, like let's, because I know that as time goes on in an injury, people pay less and less attention to this kind of stuff. And I know it's important to pay more attention to it. Not to the point where you're just like obsessed, but to the point where it's like you don't forget that part of your routine, checking the skin, doing the weight shifts, and people just kind of let it go to wayside. But then it's just a couple hours. That's all it takes. To get a wound that just doesn't go away and gets infected, and so it's so important. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot as far as that, right?
1: Yeah. So I actually, when I did my clinical with Kevin as a student, my project was um, SCI and wound care, and I got to spend days at the wound clinic. And it's um, those images are engraved in my head forever. Let's just say that. Yeah, and you know what's
0: funny is, um, well, it's not funny, but um, Evan's physiatrist. She's been doing phone consults with him, and every single time she does a phone consult, she's like, "And also remember at the end of the phone call, remember I do a shift every week at the wound clinic, and I never want to see you there." <laughs> it's just like yeah. she says the same thing. It's like burned into her mind. It's like once that starts, it's very very hard to prevent or to to get rid of it. So
1: it's the key is prevention, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, um, positioning and transferring, just making sure. And this is where. Um, If things change, always following up with a PT or an OT to see, like, how can my transfer be different? How can it be better Um, as time changes, bodies change, um, etc. It's also really important for the partner to be able to, to learn how to do transfers properly. Brooke and I were both saying how it would have been so, so beneficial had we as the partners... Um, had somebody do like a proper course with us about like, you know, transferring the pivots, the bending, the pulling, yeah. the everything when you're helping your partner because there are so many injuries that we hear about that we've or I've even sustained myself from tweaking something by doing something really silly but in the moment yeah you want to help your partner and you want to help them quickly that sometimes you just don't think right until later like we had an assessment with an OT in house and she was like can you like show me how you do this and she was like hey you need to like Mm -hmm. you need to take a little step back here and, and think about what you're doing to your own body Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I did a project in graduate school and my research was evaluating like nurses transferring and how OTs could play a role in like education. But I think wherever I work, I ensure that everyone is doing everything with proper body mechanics, because if that wife or primary caregiver goes down, that person just lost so much independence, you know. Um, so, so that actually
0: leads to our next question. And we had a lot of questions about um, the health of the caregiver and our health for transferring. And if we're the primary caregiver and we're doing a lot of the, the quote, heavy lifting ourselves, you know, I mean, you had mentioned, you know, get an assessment by an OT. They can assess the caregiver as well as the partner, right, as to, like, how to transfer properly. Do you have any other um, advice on how to, like, quote, save your back or save your neck or shoulders if you're uh, a caregiver that is... Helping your partner to transfer?
1: Yeah, I think, um, not to be like corny, but just to go back to um, the first one of the first questions and what I said, but like self love, right? So, you know, in, if you're, if you wouldn't expect your partner to bend and twist and, you know, do the things that you're doing, like don't do it yourself, you know? Um, but that being, or, I guess more of it is to like strengthening those muscles that you need in order to perform those activities. So I think bracing is a really good one that people should learn how to do. They teach it in like CrossFit, like when you're deadlifting, doing clean and jerks, but it's essentially like tightening your stomach muscles. It's kind of like you exhale a little bit and then tighten your stomach muscles when you lift. Um, What's that called again? It's called bracing. Okay, cool. Google but bracing, everybody. Yeah, it's, it helps to like, protect your spine. Oh, that's pretty um, cool. Do we have some sort of a diagram or, or a link or anything that we can check this out at? Yeah, you know what? I will find one and email it to you. Yeah, we'll, okay, we'll, put, it awesome. on,
0: yeah, we'll put it on the uh, description of the podcast when it goes out. We'll put the link for bracing. So check it out, people. That's like a really cool sounding exercise.
1: Yeah, but I think too, like deadlifts are a great one, you know, strengthening those muscles that um, you're going to strengthen and then like a golfer's pickup is what it's called. So when you pick items up, like not your partner, but like say they drop something like lift one leg when you pick it up, you know, so that way you're not straining your back with tight hamstrings Um, when you do lift heavy objects, make sure you're bending your knees not your waist and really keeping your back straight, which bracing should help with that. Um, not twisting your back as you lift. You want to like turn, pivot your feet, etc. cetera. Um, you want to keep... And the squat, squat. Yeah. Squatting. Squat squats. properly. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Really squatting and maybe like seeing a personal trainer when you can. Or if you are having like physical therapists treat people with back pain, and neck pain so like if you are having those symptoms like go get some pt yourself you know and they should be able to teach you some of these strategies as well um
0: million percent i think that's such a huge point it's like we always think oh we got to save the money for our partners but it's like well what about us like
1: you know what if we
0: if we crumble what's gonna happen
1: yeah Yeah. just hit that deductible sooner get it out of the (laughs) way (laughs) Yeah. yeah very smart yeah. So, and then you want to like think about your center of gravity and like when you're transferring your partner, how can you keep them as close to your center of gravity um, when you're doing that? So, um, those are some of my just proper body mechanics yeah. and that self-love and self-care, like, you know, an open communication with your partner too. Like if you're not feeling well, tell them, you know, um, you know, yeah, they. I know yeah. they need to have their daily needs met, but maybe some of those like extra things, you can take a day off. Or if you have support, you know, have that support come and help you. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And as I'm saying this, like sometimes I need to, you know, listen to my own words. So I'm not saying that this is easy, but you yeah, know. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you said that though because it's so funny. I was just thinking about this. Is like from our perspective, and we've all been here. Is like. You know, we have the option to transfer our partner quickly or do it maybe with a Hoyer lift and have it take a little bit longer. And it's like, sometimes you have to say to yourself, okay, if I fling him over and transfer him just to save a few seconds, if, is that worth my back potentially going out? Probably not. So it's like, it's good to like assess the situation and be like, okay, I have the option here to use a Hoyer. I have the option to like have it take a little bit longer, but maybe in the long term that'll be better for my health. And just like really taking yourself into consideration instead of like, okay, we need to do this now. Um, Right? I mean, we've all been
1: there. Especially too thinking if you just got home from a party or a happy hour, like you should probably use a Hoyer lift if your partner, you know, needs that much assist. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Just think about your own ability, the time that you're transferring, or if you just had a hard workout and maybe your muscles are feeling weaker, you know, it's probably not the best time to strain them even more. So I think getting back to that mindfulness and doing like a body scan and like feeling like, how is your body feeling? You know?
0: Yeah. So, so, so important and definitely worth invest in yourself, people invest in yourself. It's so important. Okay. We have another question. Um, and there was a few questions on gadgets, but what are your Uh, recommendations for just some of your favorite gadgets to help uh, create more independence that people may not necessarily know about
1: yeah so I'll go through this list quickly I think it's definitely where you need to have an OT do like an evaluation on your partner but some of my favorite tips and tricks are dining with dignity those are great for like c5 c6 c7 um maybe more so like c5 c6 injuries uh have you guys heard of those before i have but can you explain in more detail exactly what that is yeah so it's essentially a spoon or a fork or a knife and it has these like flexible rings attached to it so with like tenodesis um the only yeah with tenodesis like your partner should be able to put it potentially in their mouth slide it on the fingers, or if they don't have um, that much upper extremity function, have someone put them on and tighten them around their thumb and index finger. And essentially, they just kind of like sit there, hold your fingers in place. And then if you're above C, if you have like a C5-ish injury or limited ability to like stabilize their own wrist, They would need like some sort of wrist cock up splint or something to hold their wrist. But those are really nifty tools. Um, My like go to ones, they're a little expensive, unfortunately. Um, But again, it's like finding those, maybe there's a grant that they could write or use like Mm waiver like that. You know what? We actually have something similar like that here um, that was invented by some OTs at GF Strong, the rehab center. And I think they're only about $20 a piece for a fork. Oh, um, yeah. And and they, they're they basically like molded to your hand like an open ring where like a, a, a solid, solid yeah. ring, but you slide your hand into it. And then it's a fork that comes up from the middle of your palm. So you kind of eat from like your palm. So those are some, some other options too. I don't know yeah. how much dining, uh, dining with dignity costs. Do you know? Yeah. They're about 50 bucks per silverware, but this one, it okay. kind of, it's like how you would, I guess, typically eat kind of puts it in that position, like how you or I would hold a fork. So, you know, as an OT, like I don't really, uh, I just try and meet my patient's needs on, you know, what aesthetic they want to look at um versus like i'll make them something that they can eat with it just might not be the most fancy silver you know thing so right right again we're trying to like kind of create quote unquote the new normal to kind of allow your partner to get back to the things that they were able to do pre-injury um like the rest of us right yeah so i'll rattle off a couple more quick things um a U cuff is like a go to just putting silverware in. Um, the OB for higher level quads is a really interesting device. Again, it is a little expensive, but I've had some, some success with like waiver, Medicaid waiver paying for it sometimes. Um, have you guys seen the OB before? No. No. What is that? It's like a robot, essentially, and it has, so it has this plate with four different quadrants, and then it has a spoon, and there's two switches, one switch, so they can set it up as like a sip and puff, like a head switch, um, etc., and one switch chooses which quadrant out of the plate you would like to eat out of, and then the other switch is to take a like a spoonful, and then it's like this robot arm that reaches from the plate to the person's mouth.
0: no way that is crazy. I've never heard of that,
1: yeah, so that's a really great tool for higher level quad that's so um cool. some like little tips and to- tricks that would make anyone with a limited dexterity's life easier is like Dyson, which is like this sticky um sheet that you can Yes. Uh, yeah. Plate guards, rocker knives, and then and that sticky sorry that sticky sheet you can actually like cut out little like bands to go around your hand that you can hold things with as well. Like I, it's kind of hard to explain, but you cut out little loops and you stick the fork through the little loops and then it goes around your hand.
0: And you know what yeah. I found is it's gonna- easier to find um, on Amazon or in like any store if you look for uh, it's shelf liner. So like a lot of um, a lot of stores have sections for shelf liner, like non-skid. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what Dyson is, is. like, if You can't find it with that search term. Look for anti-skid shelf liner
1: because it's very, very similar. And they have it actually at the dollar stores here yeah. too. Yeah. That's awesome. I love those. Those are some nice tips and tricks. Um or go to your OT and they'll give it to you. Also, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hand mine out like it's candy. Don't tell my employer that though. Um, you
0: know, oh, you know what else I just thought of? I, I feel like that Dyson is like the it's like a miracle because like I cut some off and I use it for myself. So I have like not the strongest grip when I'm opening things, and I oh used yeah. To- I used to rely on my husband to open everything for me because I'd be like, "Hun, can you open this can or can you open this jar? I just can't get it. So like you wrap it around the top as a caregiver and you can open jars very easily and open a lot of things really easily if you use it. So it's like dual purpose people.
1: (laughs) Um, I think too, like there's mobile arm supports, but those can be tricky, but someone could get them attached to their power chair if they have like biceps, but limited shoulder Um, and wrist movement that might be a way to assist but that needs like a therapist evaluation also we have something here called gloves for life and I have seen like see um, some quads eat with those as well so um, and then with drinking there's something called you adapt and it's essentially like a universal cuff that has velcro around it and you can change the um, diameter of it to fit around any cup then it turns the cup into like it has a little u cuff attached. Extended straws, um, zip ties, so people can just get like their thumb around instead of like having to grasp the water bottle, two zip ties, and then they can just slip their thumb through the second zip tie, bring it up, and then there's this like straw thing called lock line, which is great for like higher level quads, so you can kind of adjust the, I guess, straw. Um, and it stays. Yeah, and then for dressing, I'll do it really quick. Um, Magzip, they're magnetic zippers. Um, actually made for like uh one-handed amputees, but they work great. I've just put them on all my significant others jackets so he can be independent with zipping up his coat. Um magnetic buttons are great. Um, like Zappos adaptive has a ton of resources. I know there's like Tommy Hilfiger adaptive, and there's um Another company that has more dress clothes that I think is great. Um, and actually, you guys showed me the vibe button hook. I love that um, for it's like a button hook and a zipper. Yes, fork. yes. Dan actually gets those off of Amazon. Super easy yeah. to find. I think they're about fourteen dollars a piece. And yeah. the button hook is, like, really, really convenient for somebody who has teen and has, like, a sort of pinch to um, cap themselves. So he, uses, he relies on the button hook to pull his zipper open, of course, and then open the button with it. And that's a great tool that I think we've gone through, like, six of those already. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I love that. And then also quad tools, they have, like, a a quad reacher that people with like Tinodesis can use. It's pretty expensive though, but just wanted to throw it out there.
0: I think quad tools is Canadian. Are they Canadian,
1: Alina? Oh. I'm not 100%. I, I'm not 100% sure about that either. I just saw either, a few of
0: their brochures in but, some Canadian rehab places. So I was like, oh, are these guys Canadian? I don't know. Little Canada shout out maybe. Yeah, I've seen that. Those yeah, kind of I'm things. They're, they're cool. No, those those quad tools are really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and I spoil my significant other, and we adapt um, most of his pants to be – like, actually, Sevens has a really nice adaptive jeans that are pretty affordable. A designer brand, yeah.
0: My my husband has six pairs of them. They're the best jeans ever, and you don't need to really do much to them.
1: So what makes them adaptable? Explain that to me quickly. So instead of a zipper – and then instead of a zipper, they do Velcro. And then instead of buttons, they put the main button on the outside. And then it's like two magnets, depending on the gene. And then they also have like if you have a leg bag, they have ones that you can like essentially unVelcro the pant leg and access that leg bag. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Love it.
0: Yeah. And there's also ones that like they're just stretchy and they like, you don't need to, like, if you're the type that gets your pants altered because you're in a seated position, you don't really need to. They sit like perfectly. Like, you just size up and they're so stretchy that they just, they're, they're like wearing sweatpants, but they're jeans. Like, they're brilliant. Like, they are a bit expensive, but it's totally worth it. And they always have sales. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. That's really great. I, my son, Brad loves those. So,
0: awesome. No one one
1: for but so- he loves them.
0: Wow. These are such good points. That's really, really awesome.
1: I guess I know what Dan's getting for Christmas this year. Yeah, I promise he'll love them. Pants. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you guys mind though? There's one question that I would love to answer really of quick. Of course. Of course. Um, okay. One, like what advice do you have for women who are caregivers but also interested in occupational therapy as a career? Yes, yes for um, sure. My advice is to just have, like, know yourself. And like, have open communication with your partner. So Brad and I, I know the conversations are hard. But like, when I'm working full time, um, there's certain things that we do to make sure I don't have burnout. So like, for example, we're moving into a place together and we'll have people come help clean. um, Like maybe like once a month, just so I don't have to do that like deep cleaning. Um, And then also like for us, if I'm working full time, like we're going to have um, a PCA come help. Although he's, he has the ability to be independent. It just takes him, you know, like so much extra time. So when he has things that he has to do, he does have an aid, but just having some of those like hard conversations um, for me is a must, especially because OTs typically have that like caregiver role at work. So um, and then like, also Brad knows if I work a 10 hour day, like I can't necessarily help him unless it's like, obviously I'll do anything that's needed, but if it's just like a want help, like give me an hour and a half at home first before I'm being asked to help, like help him exercise or get in a standing frame, et cetera. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I it really does. 100%. open and honest communication, um, yeah, it, well, because we're all human at the end of the day. It's like we all have the same amount of hours in a day and we're all human. And and it's normal to say, hey, I just need some time. I need a minute. It makes you a yeah. better partner when you're able to communicate openly as well. Right. And not kind yeah. of have those resentments lingering in the background where you, you can just be like, this is what's up. This is what I need. This is what I can do. And this is what I cannot do. Yeah. And I actually have not been burnout um, being a partner. And an OT. So I think that's like a fear, but that's not necessarily reality. If you just make sure you have balance, um, if, only, if anything, it just made me more passionate, more willing to like advocate and provide like the best service I can to my patients and um, their wags.
0: You know, that's so, I'm so glad that you said that um, because I feel like you hear that everywhere. It's one of my biggest struggles in the community, but also in, in closer relationships where people just assume you're going to get burnt out. Oh, you're going to get burnt out if you don't do this, if you don't do that. And it's like, you know, if you're dedicated and devoted to figuring out what works for your balance, which is completely up to the individual, if you're tuned in, like, you know, this is what I need to be balanced. It may not be what you need to be balanced. It may look scary to you and look like I'm doing too much. But it's like, people don't know what happens behind closed doors. And people don't know, like, it's just important for every wag out there to know that like, don't listen to people when they say you can't do this or you can't do that. Find what works for you. And you're right. It's all about balance, whatever that looks like for you. If you're avoiding yourself to serve others, that's a problem. But if you're living your life and you've figured out what works for you, just embrace it and pay attention to yourself and what you need. And it's so important because like I hear all the time, oh, you can't do this. Oh, you're going to burn out. Oh, you're this and that. And it's like nobody knows but you what is right for you, right? So, like, I love what you said, especially earlier about paying attention to what you need and taking that time for yourself. And everybody needs that space and time for what works for you. And so, even people that are full-time caregivers, it is possible to
1: have balance. It is. Yeah. And they should. They deserve to have balance um and too, like Brad brings me so much and he gives me so much energy that i don't even like view myself as being his caregiver like you know so i think it's like you yeah. said about perspective and 100%. balance i would have to say like Brad is very can be very independent and is very independent so like i can't, it's harder for me to speak to you know, like the very, the higher level injuries, but, um, still I do recommend my following recommend my previous recommendations of, you know, you still need to take care of yourself. Everybody does.
0: And then there's so many ways to do that. And like you mentioned higher level injuries, like my husband is, he's a C4, he's not independent at all. And he's accepted that. And we've made it work for us. And like, you know, people will message me saying like, how do I do this? My partner is just, he needs so much attention from me. And it's like, you have to figure out, you have to figure out how to separate the two, even if it means 10 minutes to yourself, which is possible for anybody. It's just that flip in perspective where it's like, it's not necessarily about what you have to do. It's more about what you can tell yourself and how you can make your mind right. If that makes any sense.
1: Exactly. But I, I agree with you, even if it's just 10 minutes, like I do that, you know, advocate for yourself too, just like you would advocate for your partner. So if you need resources to help you get an aid in for an hour a day, you know, like try and find those resources, um, Totally. Whether it's a friend or family member or a cleaning lady or just even getting takeout, right? Some days it's like getting takeout is the very best we can do. Or we just want to kind of have a little break and just like sit, chill, enjoy, not clean, not cook. So whatever you feel like you need to do for yourself in that moment, listen to that gut, listen to that voice and live your best life. Exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been like so awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and and allowing us to pick your brain. You are a plethora of information. And I know that so many women will probably love to reach out to you. And if they want to do so, how can they reach out to you, Megan? I have an Instagram account and Facebook. Um, Facebook message me. um, And if there's any, like, West Coast um, WAGs, I'd love to do a meetup someday so yeah heck yes so thank you so much for coming on today you've been listening to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts Millie Nepali and Brooke Paget and of course our special guest today was Megan Dumont so thank you very much for coming on and we wish everybody a beautiful week ahead
0: the advocacy and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation we raise funds year round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our WAGs, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com, or donate directly to the WAGs of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of FCI couples worldwide.